I'm David All, and this is Beyond the Belly. Belly of the Beast Life Stories is a way to help us understand the nature of life transformations. Each of the real-world stories illustrates that in a different way. But now, we want to go beyond any personal belly story to understand the overall patterns of transformation. To shape the narrative, I'm going to pull in expert friends of mine to help guide us through the patterns and share insights. My hope is that as you hear these stories and digest their meaning, it shines a light on your own life, helping you take action to live an even fuller life by being mindful of the transformations you have gone through, are going through now, and of those just right around the corner. We are back with Artie Wu. You can learn about Artie at presidelife.com. We're going to add a few other links uh, to Artie's work and where you can follow him on social media in the episode notes of this podcast. Artie, your background is something I'd like to bring up. You went to undergraduate at Harvard. You got your MBA at Stanford. You started a few startups and then sold them both, known as exiting. And now you're a master healer. (laughs) Can you talk to us about that transformation? (laughs) Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I went through my own phases of being a caterpillar, jumping through the hoops of going to the right schools and, you know, doing sort of industry work and professional stuff that would be acceptable to the expectations that I had coded in my own mind and heart. And then I guess for me, through a series of my own sort of belly experiences, I slowly, step-by-step through this this sort of mess of a process. It wasn't certainly wasn't something architected by me. It was something that I felt led through and for the most part kicking and screaming until I reached my own point of surrender as Joby had brilliantly described, to this point now where the healing work that I do is really, it's what I consider to be my personal bliss. When, you, when I look back on my life, it's, it's this thread within me of helping people to heal the voices within them that are basically abusive toward their own selves, the self-abuse, the self-negativity. The strand in me had been in me all my life. It's obvious in hindsight, But when you're going through it, you have no idea where all this is coming from. And uh, it's just been this incredible life experience uh, for me to leave the world of tech, leave the world of CEOs and venture capitalists and who in my Caterpillar phase made up like all of my professional and personal network of friends. And um, I mean, I'm still close to many of them, but it's, it's changed a lot where I'm in this world of other healers and people who really care about this aspect of the human experience. Can you talk to us about healing generally and what that means for you when you wake up every single day? So the, the quick view of, of how I think about healing is that within every single one of us, um, as we go through life, there will be parts of us that are valid, 
genuine card carrying parts of who we actually are as people, just as we're born, that we will feel are unacceptable to the world around us. And that's an issue. An extreme example is if I'm in a society where being, say, you know, divorced or homosexual or whatever will cost me my life because I could be executed under the law of that country. Then if there's this part of me that is like my sexual orientation or my religious affiliation could cause me to die or be killed, then that's a part of me if I want to survive that I have to stuff down. I have to bury it. I can't talk about it. That's an extreme example, but there are all these other examples where you go through life and you're a girl and there's a mask that we give all our girls to wear saying that you will be the good girl. And if you violate any of those precepts of being a good girl, you fear you will lose love, you'll lose maybe even physical protection, you'll lose financial opportunity, you'll lose emotional validation, prestige, the whole nine yards. So the parts of you that don't work with being a good girl, and every family and every society has their own version of that, uh, you try to cut off and stuff down. Boys are similar. Right? We give all our boys a mask. Uh, and interestingly, the mask doesn't say good boy. It says strong, competent boy. So if you're strong and competent, we'll, we'll give you a pass on the good, perhaps. And we see that in our society all the time with Me Too and all the rest of it. But that mask itself comes with demands, expectations, scripts of what you'll say, when you'll say it, how you'll behave. And believe me, if you're a boy and you violate those precepts, justice is swift and you will feel it. I mean, any boy who's been even nine or 10 years old on the athletic field, you get hit, you learn pretty quickly that you're not allowed to cry. Right? That's just life. That's just life in our culture and society. So when you have these masks that are given to you, very young, when you have no power to resist, the smart ones especially, it's the smart ones that do it even more because they can read the writing on the wall faster than anyone else. And they realize, crap, I can't be like this. I can't be like that. And you take those parts of you and you stuff them down. Once you've done that, 10, 20, 30 years go by. And where you've stuffed that part of you is down in the belly, down in the deepest level of Guantanamo prison. And it can be argued that healing is basically the act of going down into the lowest levels of the prison to recover that lost part of yourself. And that's a longer discussion. But basically for me, the act of healing is to realize you, there is a part of you that you have cut off and tried to stuff down. And even kill if you could, but you can't because it's a part of you. It doesn't die till you die. And even then, who knows? But you've tried to stuff this part of yourself down. And eventually, uh, at first, it's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll hide in the closet too because I don't want to get us in trouble. But after 15 years go by, you know, the parts that you've stuffed in the closet, they're talking to each other going like, hey, Fred, I, I don't think they're coming back for us. <laughs> and they start coming to you in your dreams, chasing you. They start like, you know, giving you rashes, you know, throwing your back out, uh, making you unhappy at your job. You can't get out of bed in the morning. All of a sudden, you have no energy. You've lost your enthusiasm for life. They have access to all these levers and buttons within you because they are a part of you. They're a valid part of you. Their swipe key opens every door of the building, and their access privileges cannot be revoked. And so the question is, what do you do with that? How do you recover them? For most of us, we refuse the call to recover them. We're like, no, I want to stay a caterpillar. 
And it can be argued in this sort of poetic way, some would say mythopoetic way, that the reason, not from a punishing you standpoint, the reason from the natural homeostasis design, evolutionary design standpoint, that stuff happens to tip you into the belly is because when I when something happens to you then, magically, coincidentally, that puts you through the tumble cycle of life, that puts you on your knees and in this state of what Joby would call forced surrender. In that state, you are down there in Guantanamo prison and you look at your cellmate, these exiled parts of you, and you reconcile with them too. You come back and you're like, I don't care if anybody, if everybody doesn't like me anymore. I've decided the first thing I am is the prophet of God, as, as you know, Jonah, Jonah's story. And everything else I was worried about as a caterpillar, I'm not worried anymore. And so there's a sort of mysterious connection between healing and this whole natural process, this spontaneous process, if you will, of going into the belly of the beast that we all experience. Like, I don't believe there's any master sort of torturer are triggering all these things. It happens from our biology, like a like a bird builds a nest, and it's beautiful. What's not so beautiful is discovering deep into your midlife, even mm. that there was a wound that was triggered very early on. Yes. Can you talk to us about how you talk to your folks who come to you for healing about their early childhood development? Well, I think the way I think about those early wounds is that, you know, they actually come in two parts. So the first part is the wound itself. It's like the trauma you experienced. But then there's the second part, which is because of this trauma, you cut a piece of yourself off. So you're a young guy, you're in middle school soccer or whatever, you get hit and you start crying because it hurts. And your coach comes out yells at you, says, you can't cry. You go home in the car with your dad. Your dad is just like, I'm humiliated. I can't believe you cried on the, on the soccer field. You cannot do that. So the trauma wasn't even that you got hit. The trauma was that you were ashamed for expressing your emotion. So what you do then is, in that just one simple example, is you cut off your ability to express emotion. Right? Stone face, frozen face, poker face. It's that resting default scowl that every guy has at the gym. It's just normal. And um, so the wound in that case comes in two parts. The first is the trauma. And the second is the part of you you cut off, in this case, displays of emotion that result from the trauma. You're not an idiot. You're reacting to a threat. And you're like, okay, if I'm going to get like basically nailed to the wall for expressing emotion, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. Right? It's not stupidity. It's perfectly reasonable. So when I do healing, it's basically like this feeling of like, if you had, sorry for the gory you know, example here, but if you cut your arm off, that's a two-part wound. One is the pain of cutting my arm off. It's like hurting. There's like a stump there. It's like painful. But then there's a second part of the wound, which is I don't have use of my arm. Like functionally, I'm debilitated. Like as that guy, functionally, I can't express my emotion in my relationships with my wife or She's wondering why I don't express emotion. There's a reason, but I can't even talk about that because I'm not supposed to talk about sensitive topics because I'm an American man. So you go through your life hobbled without your arm and with this painful stump. It's a two-part wound. And when I do healing, 
I'm like, well, I, we can't do anything about the historical fact that someone cut your arm off. That's done. We're not going to go back and like change history. But what we can do is we can look for that arm, find it, and put it back on your body. Because like the pain of a stump, it's like since then, as a kid, I've had all these other cuts and scars, and my whole body is like sore all day. <laughs> so the pain of like a scar is like not even the problem. The problem is I still don't have my arm, and it's like it's getting worse and worse because as I get older, I need this arm of like in this case my emotional. You know, for a girl, it's typically something like the power of her voice. Right, good girls don't argue; they're not bossy, they're not bitchy. So I suppress the power of my voice. Well, the older you get, the more and more important that is to any adult's life. And if you're a woman and you don't have the power of your voice, that's a big problem. I mean, there's just simple single examples. There's like multitudes. So then, if you find that power of your voice, you find that ability to express emotion, you find that cut off arm and put it back because it isn't dead. It's just been stuffed in Guantanamo, and you bring it back. So the ridiculous metaphor is: we stitch the arm back on, you recover it. Now, where your arm was cut off, will still be sore every morning when you wake up. Can't change that. But at least you'll have your arm back now. Right? You are more fully functional. And for most people, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, the pain I can handle. But I just needed my arm back, and now I can function as a more balanced, kind of fully powered human being. And that's what we do in healing. This idea of there's a part of you that you cut off for perfectly reasonable, and no one's blaming you. If I were in your shoes, I would have done the same damn thing. But now it's like you're 35, you're 45, you're whatever. It's time to get that lost arm back. And the whole healing process that I teach, that I take people through, is this journey of like, okay, so let's figure out what it was. Uh, where is it now? And how do we recover it back? I actually teach this seven-day healing program. We're in seven days. We don't do the full recovery, but we teach you all the tools in that seven-day workshop for you to do the recovery on your own. The shocking thing for me is that there's probably 30, 40,000 people that have gone through that program. A large number of them, as they're working the exercises, just because I'm teaching you the exercises and giving you examples, just so you learn them and then you go do it for yourself as you feel comfortable. But they just grab their own live example and they start doing it. And by day three, they have started the recovery process. And it's the most shocking thing I've ever seen. I mean, I'm, I never guarantee anyone any rules. I'm like, I'm going to teach you the methods and you go try it. But as they're learning the methods, they're just, they're like, well, I may as well just do it now. And by day three, they're like, they found this missing part of them. They're having this like, conversation with it. And they've already started the recovery process. And for me, this is all, this is part of my butterfly. When I surrendered, all this stuff started coming out of me. And um, really, you know, my job day to day is just to stay out of the way of the flow. Artie, what's your vision for the world? What I would love to see, and I don't think it'll happen in my lifetime, but I would love to see the world move in a direction where this practice, this act, this phenomenon of people saying, oh yeah, we've all exiled a part of ourselves. No big deal. No harm, no foul. Everyone's done it. And you don't have to do this. But if you want to, you can, and it's not weird, that you go through some process of going in, rummaging around, and finding the part or parts you stuff down and trying them back on again. That alone 
would shift the entire center gravity of humankind in my mind. But beyond that, it starts to accelerate. What typically happens is a person is like in conflict with themselves. So that you've got, you know, like at Harvard, there were all these like, it was like a rowing team, right? And there's like this crew of like seven or eight rowers and this long skiff that you row in, in races. And the metaphor I always use is like half of the rowing team is, is rowing in the opposite direction. You're trying hard every day. You're like jumping out of bed, you know, ready to run through walls and really, really sort of hit it hard. But half your team is rowing in the opposite direction. So you're rowing really hard, but the boat isn't going anywhere. And when you heal and recover those lost parts, it's like everyone starts to align and row in the same direction. So even when you exert like 10% of the effort you used to exert, the boat starts flying. And you realize you have all these muscles now because you've been rowing against yourself so hard for so many years. So when you heal, you realize all this flow is unlocked and you, at the touch of your finger, things accelerate. And then metaphorically speaking, the, the, the rowers look at you and they're like, okay, chief, because you're chief of the boat, where do you want to go? And you're not wounded anymore. You're not running for your life out of prestige or expectations or anything else. In other words, you're not running out of fear. So if you're not running out of fear, there's only one other thing, which is love or desire. So when they ask you where you want to row out of a sense of love, not fear, that is at what, where that road leads you is to finding and following your bliss, right? The thing you love to do natively, even before you were born for no good reason. But when you follow it, you know, it makes you happy. It unlocks all this power in you. Uh, it also, in hindsight, ends up being like you realize the meaning and purpose of your life, the reason why you're in the, on the planet in the first place. And as a happy byproduct, it rains down blessing on the life of the world around you. Right. So if I'm a healer, it rains down blessing because of the people I heal. But there's a secondary effect as well, where every person who's following their bliss is a healer even though they're not actually healing people. So like Picasso, for instance, is a healer in this sense, because even though he's not healing, he's a painter, he's a sculptor. The fact that he is following his bliss in the world heals the world as well, because every person that follows their bliss also acts as a signpost for everyone else. Right? A caterpillar, armies of caterpillars are just like hanging out on the tree leaves and they see butterflies fly by. And they're like, what the hell is that? And someone's like, and some butterfly stops. Picasso stops. And they're like, what are you? Oh, that's fine for Picasso, but not for me. That's fine for Jonah, but not for me. That's fine for Chip Connolly, but not for me. And Chip looks at you and like, don't you get it? Right? You are me. You are going to be a butterfly. It's like, oh, no, 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 thanks. No, no, not for me. That's, I don't like to fly. I'm afraid of heights. But every person who is following their bliss and is a butterfly is a signpost because all the caterpillars see you and they start to wonder. So my vision for the world is for more and more caterpillars to like see that and to like willingly and excitedly jump into their cocoons. It's no less painful. But when you know the meaning of pain you're going through, I mean, almost anything is bearable. Artie, you are a gift to me. You're a gift to this show. You're a gift to me. I'm very grateful for our friendship that you've helped me create this platform. 
for people to heal and inspire the world with their uplifting stories. And I know that we have a lot more to talk about. There are so many more of these mm-hmm. patterns. I mean, you and I were just scratch padding so many different patterns that are coming up just in season one. Mm. And we're already working on season two. So I look forward to having you back on Beyond the Belly and talking about more of those patterns. For now, visit presidelife.com to learn more about Artie Wu. He mentioned a seven-day healing program. I recommend that if you feel like that's calling you, investigate, explore, see if it's time. Artie, thank you so much. Thank you so much, David. My pleasure. Like the creeks flowing into the rivers, the rivers flowing into the ocean, this podcast continues to fork out, taking you further into your own pattern of transformation. I want to invite you to share your story with me, if and when you feel moved to do so. If one of the stories has helped you look in the mirror and gain new perspective, or if the wisdom has moved you along in your own journey, I'd love to hear about it. My personal email is david at inourbelly.com. Trust that your story will be confidential unless you and I decide that it's time for you to share that story through an upcoming season. And if your story is a crucial aspect of your professional career, check out davidall.com, a place where you'll find some free resources and methods and a way for us to work together to help you tell your story the simple and easy way. As always, the greatest way to help these stories reach the folks that need to hear them is to share it with a friend or two. Just send them a text message or post it on social media. And don't forget, write a fair review on Apple iTunes. It takes a small team to bring you the highest quality podcast to wherever you listen. Milos Rosetta is our sound engineer. Artie Wu is our advisor and a frequent guest on Beyond. And I'm David All, the host, producer, and creator. And you, well, you're more than just the listener. Your life story is the reason why this podcast exists. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. I'm working on some stories that you need to hear. Be well.